Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Ruger, surprising you with new topics every week and jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC. And man, do we have a good UFC card this upcoming Saturday, UFC Singapore, going down for all my central time zone people at 4 a.m. for the prelims, 7 a.m. for the main card. So I will be waking up early, maybe getting some donuts, nice cold glass of milk. Watching some UFC. It's gonna it's gonna be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Max Holloway takes on the Korean zombie in the Korean zombies final fight in the UFC and probably MMA in general, as I believe he's retiring. We're gonna be going over that entire card. We're also gonna be going over the UFC rankings they just updated. We'll be starting with that in a second. Our surprise topic for this episode. We're gonna be talking about something, something kind of emotional. If you, uh, if you're a big animal lover, we're gonna be going over endangered animals, talking a bit about those, what they, when endangered animal actually is an endangered species, and I think the top ten most endangered species. We're gonna be going over. It's gonna be fun. We're gonna be recapping the most recent episode of Dana White's Contender series. I actually took first in verdict. That is right. Uh, I. I don't know if I post. I think I posted a video on my TikTok of it, so you, should, you guys should check that out. I was super happy. It's the first time I ever took first. I've me. I placed in the top ten percent for verdict picks, but I was super hyped about that. And we're gonna go over a bit of NFL news that recently dropped. Today is currently Thursday when this is being filmed and being dropped. I'm actually going to the Minnesota State Fair this uh, upcoming Saturday. That'll be the 26th after I finish watching UFC. I'll be going with um, one of our guests we've actually had on, Lexi Morley. It should be fun. The Minnesota State Fair, I believe, is one of the more well-known state fairs. I think the Texas State Fair is pretty big, too. But I know the Minnesota State Fair, it's a statewide big event. I mean, I'm excited to try all the new foods, all the new beverages of sorts. It's going to be very tasty. But without ado, let's dive into what we're covering today. So following UFC 292, the rankings did update this past Tuesday. So, I mean, we have a lot of interesting things to talk about. So we'll start all the way down in women's flyweight where Kareem Silva and Natalie Silva, who both picked up wins in their, uh, I believe they started out the prelims, but Kareem Silva is now ranked 15th, Natalie Silva ranked 13th. Very happy for both of them. They are not related, as I've uh, mentioned many times before. And obviously, both these women should fight up. They both picked up very good wins against good competition, and I'm happy they both made it into the rankings. Moving into the women's pound for pound, Zhang Wei Li passes Valentina Shevchenko to move to the number two spot in the women's pound for pound. Uh, rankings after picking up the huge win over Amanda Limos. But this is ridiculous. Okay, Zhang Wei Li should definitely be ahead of Alexa Grasso. She's done more. She's actually defended a belt. She's actually had dominant wins. And Alexa Grasso is just beating Valentina Shevchenko. That's the most impressive thing she's done as of late. So I believe Zhang Wei Li should be number one. So that is very much a robbery. And Aaron Blanchfield was dropped down to seventh, even though she fights this uh, Saturday. So I don't know what that's about. Um, in the heavyweight division, Rodrigo Nascimento is now on the rankings at number 15. Marcos Rogero de Lima up to 14. Not much to say. These are lower-level heavyweights. Um, our next big heavyweight fight goes down uh, September 2nd, I believe it is, in UFC uh, Paris, in Paris, France. 
where uh, number seven ranked Sergei Spivak takes on number two ranked Cyril Gunn. That's going to be a fun one. I'm excited to cover that. Going to the middleweight division, 185, Roman Dolodize is now up to the number seven spot, tied with Derek Brunson. And those two, I believe, are actually fighting at UFC 295 in November, if I'm not wrong. So an odd movement there, but there's that. And Ian Gary following his big win over Neil Magny at UFC 292 in Boston moves up to the number 11 spot in the UFC rankings. Neil Magny down to 12, Kevin Holland down to 13. As for what's next for Ian, I love a Stephen Thompson fight, but apparently Wonder Boy's turning him down. So maybe he fights Sean Brady. Maybe he fights Jeff Neal. I could see him fighting either of those guys. Even Gilbert Burns could be a big challenge for him. Very happy to see what's next for Ian Gary. Moving on to lightweight, 155. Grant Dawson passes Rafael Dos Anjos to the number 10 spot in the division. Rafael, uh, I don't even know why he's still on the lightweight rankings. His last win was in 2020 against Paul Felder. Oh, actually, he beat Hinato Moicano in, uh, I think that was last year, but... Other than that, he's fought at welterweight. He said he's going to keep fighting at welterweight. And honestly, a good fight I would like would be Rafael Dos Anjos versus Neil Magny. So I say we bump RDA out of the lightweight rankings. And as for Grant Dawson, I mean, he's currently ranked 10 on a bit of a win streak. I could see him fighting up against maybe someone like... Would two scare out Rafael Fazeev loser? I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about that when he's actually fighting, but... Let's go over the big one as Sean O'Malley is now the men's bantamweight champion. Aljamain Sterling now down to the number one contender spot. Marab down to the number two spot. And Song Ye Dong actually moves up to the number seven spot tied with Rob Fod. But congratulations to Sean O'Malley. He debuts on the men's pound-for-pound rankings at number eight. Absolutely crazy. Volkanovski actually drops down to the number two spot as John Jones takes the number one spot. Very random there. Charles Oliveira up to six. Kamaru Usman up to seven. Aljamain Sterling is now ranked number nine. I mean, Pantoa, uh, Alexander Pantoa, the flyweight champion, ranked 10. And yeah, just some other movements. But congratulations to Sean. I mean, it wasn't but a year ago. He was gearing up to fight Piotr Jan. In Abu Dhabi, would win a split decision there, and now he's the number eight fighter in the world, according to the Power for Power rankings. I'm just going off of that, but big congratulations to Sean O'Malley. I'm happy to see if he fights Marlon Vera next, if he fights uh, Marab Dueva Shelley next, Aljamain Sterling's uh, training partner and friend. Should be very exciting to see what's next for all these fighters, and that'll end. UFC 292 of sorts. I mean, I always wait till the rankings are out before I officially consider the week over for it, which was UFC 292 is very good. I'm excited to do my end of the year rankings. So um, UFC 292, definitely a mid-event, as the kids will say. Definitely a medium pack level event, but still exciting nonetheless. Moving on to our next topic, we will be going over a bit of NFL news as the preseason heads into its final week. I'm very glad that the season's starting soon. I'm I'm not the biggest preseason guy, so I mean, there's a there's just no there's no nothing at stake. I guess if you're if you know a player trying to get a contract, then I guess that would be or make a spot in the final roster. I should say, then you'd be invested. But I just know it's all for money, so I have, I have no interest. But some big fantasy news, some big news for the Broncos, as Jerry Judy 
is expected to miss multiple weeks with a hamstring injury he was forced to be helped off of at practice. I believe it was, was it practice or a preseason game? I cannot recall. Um, but all I know is Jerry Judy will be missing week one uh, without a doubt. And starting the week with a um, starting the season with a hamstring injury is definitely not good. So prayers up for Jerry Judy. It's uh, not your fault that Russell Wilson is a washed up quarterback and he's on your team. Um, in other news, Browns are trading quarterback Joshua Dobbs in a 2024 seventh round pick to the Cardinals in exchange for 2024 fifth round pick Joshua Dobbs. Just one of the more iconic backup quarterbacks. I mean, how old is Josh now? He's got to be almost 30. I mean, he's, I believe he was with the Jaguars for a while. I mean, he was with the Steelers, as I can recall. And he's been the Browns backup for a bit of time. I mean, but Joshua Dobbs will be going to the Cardinals. And honestly, the Cardinals are poised to be one of the worst teams in the league um i don't know they actually did trade their offensive tackle josh jones to the texans there's a bunch of deals going down today but as for the preseason i did take some notes on which teams haven't won yet and which teams have so the steelers are actually 2-0 in the preseason picking up two big wins of sorts Kenny Pickett, I'm always excited to see him play, and I do have a, uh, my roommate is actually a huge Steelers fan, so I will be hearing a lot about George Pickens, Kenny Pickett, Pratt, Firemuth the whole season, but good for them, they are yet to uh, lose in the preseason. As for their divisional uh, opponent of sorts, the Bengals, yet to pick up a win, they are 0-1-1, they did have a tie, but yet to pick up a win, same goes for the Broncos, who are 0-2, I mean, just... I feel bad if you're a Denver fan because th this team just does not win. I mean, I always like to look at the bad teams like the uh, the Raiders. I mean, I guess the Raiders aren't too bad. I mean, we'll see how Jimmy Garoppolo does this season. But they're 2-0 to start out the uh, preseason. Commanders starting out 2-0. Naming Sam Howell as their starting quarterback should be very interesting. Um, the Jaguars also starting out 2-0. You love to see it. Trevor Lawrence, Travis Atine, Calvin Ridley. It's going to be a good season for Jacksonville, I can feel. And uh, it wasn't too long ago that they had Blake Bortles making the uh, AFC Championship game. So it's it's always interesting to see how these teams flip around. The Eagles yet to pick up a win in the preseason. I mean, not much to say there. I don't I don't doubt that they they are more of a seasoned team for sure. DeAndre Swift, Jalen Hurts, Devontae Smith. I mean the Eagles are going to be a contender for sure. They got to be the NFC favorites to win the championship, I assume. Them, maybe the 49ers, maybe even the Minnesota Vikings, who are yet to get a win in the preseason. I, I'm actually speechless. I, I don't really pay attention to preseason, but I do check out the Vikings scores, and they're yet to win, which makes me sad. But one of our um, out-of-division rivals, or conference rivals, the Cowboys, they are also yet to get a win in the preseason. Saints with their uh, new quarterback, Derek Carr, 2-0 in the preseason. Doing pretty good for them. Uh, Taysom Hill, I'm still torn on if I would go with him as a, not even just fantasy quarterback, but just a franchise quarterback because I feel like he's so unreliable at the quarterback position as he could easily be thrown to the tight end position. He's a complicated um, player for sure. Seahawks starting out 2-0. Panthers 0-2. Rams 0-2. Some teams just 
yet to really break out. I mean, yeah, I remember the Vikings not too long ago were actually on a hot streak for a preseason. We won like five preseason or five seasons of five like preseason games. I'm what am I trying to say? We won like four seasons in a row of preseason. It was it was good times. That was when we were in the uh, what is it the Canton game was that the Pro Football Hall of Fame game, which is just a preseason game. I don't know. I don't really like to talk about preseason too much. It seems kind of irrelevant. But hey, the season's right around the corner. I'm getting all my fantasy league set up. If anyone has any ideas on what to do to like decide a draft order, let me know. Because I'm actually trying to think of something fun I could do for my 12-man league. I'm also setting up another league. I think I got four to six people in it. And I always have like a little mini family league. So yeah, fantasy football. Very fun. We'll be talking about that a lot. I'm thinking for the NFL season, we do weekly picks. Just as like a little surprise thing. And we're still going to stay with the UFC tone, of course. This is the surprise jab, not the surprise catch. Hey, if you want if you want a name for a podcast about football, how about the surprise catch? Hmm? We could, That could be an offshoot of this. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? But um, moving on to uh, MMA territory. That's right. We have Dana White's Contender Series. So if no one knows, on Tuesdays for some random times, Dana White, um, it's it's a show technically, we'll have Dana White's Contender Series where he invites contenders on, they fight, and he will usually give the contract um, to the winner. Sometimes he won't. It's all in his opinion. I mean, he is the head honcho. He is the boss of the UFC. And I did very good. I actually went 3-1. and one. On my picks, but I still managed to uh, place number one in Verdict. If no one knows what Verdict is, it is this app, or I guess not even like it has an app, but it's this site where you can pick how you think a fight's gonna end, what round, who you think's gonna win. You can look at all the stats of them, and then you can compete against other people, and you're already competing globally against them. And one of my favorite features is you can score rounds and you can see how other people score rounds. And it really gives you an insight into how people are scoring fights. And certainly when judges get a decision wrong and you look at the verdict scorecard where thousands of people gave their input, it's very interesting to see. So I encourage everyone to do uh, to download that. Follow me on it, ZR2002. And if I could get sponsored by Verdict, that would be awesome because I love Verdict. So. Anyways, besides that, let's dive into the four fights that were on the Contender Series. Three of the people got contracts. We'll dive into that at the end. So, kicking us off, we had Luis Pajuelo taking on Robbie Ring. I thought Robbie Ring was going to get this done. He had been undefeated. I mean, he lost, so he's not defeated anymore. He got finished in round number one, and this fight started off pretty fast. Robbie was pressuring him, landing some good shots, and then it got into a scrappy dogfight. Luis started ha just hammering on him. I mean, shots to the head, shots to the body. Robbie was starting to teeter. And it was very odd watching his gas tank give out so quickly. He got hit with a knee. Didn't really get knocked down, but just kind of found his way to the ground. And then started getting TKO'd. And the ref had to call the fight three minutes and 43 seconds into round number one. And Luis will be joining the featherweight division in the UFC with a contract. Very disappointing um, performance for Robbie Ring, but all congrats to Luis Pajelo as he improves to 8-1 and one in his pro career. He's not even 30 yet. How about that? And he did get a contract, I will say. I'm actually just going to say who got a contract and did. Luis did get a contract. Moving on to our only women's fight of the night, 
as uh, Josephine Knudsen took on Isis Verbeek. And um, wow, I cannot believe Josephine did not get a contract. She did so good. But one of Dana White's biggest um, issues with her, so she did win a unanimous decision, um, won every round, 30 to 27. Total strikes, uh, she actually um, landed six more significant strikes, but got out, out total struck by 15, I believe. She did land one takedown and throughout the whole fight had six minutes and 48 seconds of control time. But it was in round one where she landed a nasty head kick on Isis. Um, I thought that she was going to get knocked out. She started pressuring her, but, but did not go for the finish, really. And there was a lot of times throughout the fight where she could have finished it and just didn't really put on the pace. Now, I thought it was still enough to get a contract, especially in the women's strawweight division where we always want new talent. But Dana did not give it to her. And the broadcast team, uh, some content creators I saw, they were all, I wouldn't really say an uproar, but more of just, just an agreement that she should have gotten a contract. So, Josephine, uh, I believe you're still undefeated, 6-0. and oh. This is actually her second fight in a UFC promotion. She was on the road to UFC last year, which is, was like their Asian market where they were having like the winner of this gets a UFC contract. Super random, but... She doesn't get a contract, but hopefully she'll be back. We move into our co-main. Do you want to even call it that? I mean, where we had Obad, the Welsh gangster, Elliot, taking on Kalik Burrito. And man, this was a chaotic fight. This was a chaotic fight. So kicking off round one, Obad does his thing. He lands some takedowns. He's out striking them. Obad takes round one, and I'm liking where this is going. Obad's looking good. Not perfect. Not perfect performance, but he's looking good. Then round two comes around, and Kayak Brito decides to start striking, and he's just laying into Oban, outstriking him, and wins round number two. And I actually saw that on some people's scorecards, including Judge Ron McCarthy, he had round one for Kayak Brito. But then round three, Oban turned it up to a maximum. Um, let me read you these stats. 39 total strikes to six, 31 significant strikes to five, Two and a half minutes of control time. Oban absolutely 10 aided him in the final round, earning him the unanimous decision. And I did not think he was going to get a contract with this performance. It certainly was not pretty. But hey, Dana White liked him enough to give him the contract. So very happy for the Welsh gangster. He will be joining the welterweight division in the UFC. I don't know how he will fare against some higher level competition. But I mean, Kayak Brito did have almost 20 professional fights. So all kudos to Oban for getting the victory. And then we move on to our main event where I predicted that Zach Reese would win by round one submission. And by gosh, the odds were not in my favor, but he freaking did it. Zach Reese submits Eli Oronoff by armbar in a minute and 14 seconds. I was so hyped. And this was a crazy minute and 14 seconds. Zach Reese kept slipping for some reason, or he kept getting like tripped or something. It was so random. Eli actually landed more uh, significant strikes, 11 to 8. Total strikes, 13 to 8 in the minute the fight went on. He then let, goes for a takedown. Zachary's just straps on an armbar, and that was that. And it was actually one of those, like, a standing armbar where Eli's standing, but Zachary's has a hold of his arm. Chossie looked more painful. He gets the victory. He gets the contract. And the six foot four Savage, that's his nickname, in the middleweight division, improves to 6-0 and, oh, and will be joining the UFC very happy. 
that we're going to be getting another tall person in the UFC. I always like seeing these guys who are like 6'4". It's just crazy. And it was just a clear uh, size advantage because Eli's only 5'10". And the, the weird thing was, though, that's the reach. He only had a 5-inch reach, which I guess is a lot. But I figured it would have been in the more like 7- to 8-inch range. But, hey, that's how it goes. Um, Three contracts out of four fights. That's not too bad. That's honestly not too bad. And, you know, Dana gives his input after every fight. And, you know, Dana just wants to be wowed. So if you can wow Dana White, you can get a contract. And Josephine Knudsen sadly did not wow Dana White. And that's why she fell short of obtaining a contract. Still entertained me with the fights. And I'll be watching next week. I don't even, I don't know how many weeks this runs. But this was the third episode. So I think they do maybe seven or eight. I don't know, but... I'm excited to keep watching it. It's certainly nice to see some MMA on Tuesday nights. And actually, speaking of that, the PFL, Professional Fires League, they had they held their um, event last night on a Wednesday, which I was loving. And I saw that uh, Clay Collard and Oliver Aubin Mercier made the championship for the lightweight division. And that Magomed, Magomed Karatimov, and Sabado Su, Sai, Sadodu Sai, or whatever, made the welterweight championship. So that goes down in November in Washington, D.C. Should be exciting. But I mean, if they charge a pay per view for that again, I will not be buying it because PFL is not worth the money. I mean, sometimes they have banger fights, but most of the time they're just mediocre. That's why the UFC is the best. I'll say it. The UFC is the best fighting promotion. So before we um, turn to full UFC uh, preview of UFC Fight Night Singapore, Holloway versus the Korean Zombie, I figured we would go over a good topic. I was I was looking for a surprise topic this week, trying to think of something that people would find interesting, something that would captivate everyone. And I landed on endangered animals because it wasn't too long ago. That was, it was actually last Last year in college, my uh, sophomore year, I actually did a presentation on how to save um, wild rhinos. And so I was thinking about that, and I was like, hey, why don't I talk about endangered animals on here? When you have a platform, you can bring some awareness. It's super cool stuff. So without ado, let's go over endangered animals. So according to the IUCN, which is the International Union for Conservation of Nature, quite the, quite the doozy of a name, 41,000 species are under threat of extinction, which is very sad. I mean, looking at how the world's, what the world's come to, it's sad to know that animals are dying. At the same time, it's kind of like, oh, they're just animals. But it's still sad to me, man. I mean... So it's always so cool going to zoos and seeing all these animals and stuff, but it's a shame to see them dying in the wild. So I actually do have a, a chart here to help everyone. So this is from least concern to extinct. So least concern is a species that has a widespread and abundant population. What's an example? Like it doesn't give examples. I'm trying to think of examples. Maybe like a mouse or something. Um, then there's near threatened, the next level, a species that is likely to qualify for a threatened category in the near future. Maybe wolves? I, I don't know. Maybe on the top 10 list we'll see some of these animals. Then we get into vulnerable species. So that means 30 to 50% of the population's in decline. They're under 20,000 kilometers and, and of um, 
geographic range of like where the animals are at. Their population size is under 10,000 mature individuals. And their population restrictions, there's only 1,000 mature individuals or, or an area of occupancy of 20 kilometers. And then extinction probability in the wild, at least 10% within 100 years. So basically, what all that means is that these animals are being limited to how many of them are actually alive in a certain area. So just it just keeps getting lower. And they, they're using kilometers, but I mean, you can convert that to miles and stuff. But the next up is endangered species. So you go from least concerned, near threatened, vulnerable to endangered. That means 50 to 70% of the animal's population is in decline, or species, I should say, to be scientific. They're under 5,000 kilometers of... Um, like area to roam. Um, there's only 2,500 mature individuals left in the wild, and there's only 250 mature individuals in uh, that occupancy range. At least 20% will um, be gone within 20 years or five generations. So that's crazy. That's crazy. You have to think that would be your grandparents are generation one, their parents are two, your generation three, your kid, your kids' kids would be the last, um, the last uh, generation for the animals. Wow, that is dark. Moving on to uh, critically endangered. That means eighty to ninety percent of the population is in decline. They're under a hundred kilometers of um, space left in the wild. They're under two hundred and fifty mature individuals for their population size, and at least fifty percent within ten years or three generations will go extinct. Very sad. Very sad. Then we get into the number two of our top two um, uh, categories. Uh, extinct in the wild, which means only survives in cultivation plants and captive captivity animals or as a population well outside its established range. So that means there's no wild ones left, such as like rhinos that are in wild like national parks those would be ones that are not extinct in the wild. And then we get to extinct where there's no in remaining individuals of the species. Very sad. It does bring a tear to the eye of sorts. But, man, that's just how life goes sometimes. Sometimes natural selection, sometimes God, just whatever course runs its time. And, yeah, it sucks that we're having so many extinct animals. But that's why we got to bring some awareness to it. So. We're actually going to go over 10 of the world's most endangered animals. This is from the WWF. Not not wrestling. It is um, it's a uh, wildlife conservation thing. That's It's very big. They have a panda as the logo. So, yeah. As our modern society gets more resource-intensive, natural spaces are shrinking and wildlife numbers are declining. According to the 2022 Living Planet report, it shows that global wildlife populations have plummeted by 69% on average since 1970, which is crazy. 1970 was 53 years ago. While there have been amazing and inspirational uh, wildlife success and stories in the past, May animals are still endangered, mostly due to unsustainable human-led activities. Currently on the IUCN red list, there are more than 41,000 species, as I said, that have been assessed to be under threat of extinction. And so well, we're going to go over, um, according to this website, which is very reliable, I did check it out, uh, 10 of the world's most endangered species. So 
Starting off, one I'm familiar with. It's what I did my research paper on. Number one is the Javan rhinos. J-A-V-A-N. Javan. These were once found throughout Southeast Asia. These uh, rhinos have suffered a staggering decline in their numbers due to hunting and habitat loss. They are they um, butchered, poached for their horns, which is very sad. The lone wild population of Javan rhinos is one of the rarest of the rhino species, around 75 individuals, which can only be found on the island of Java, Indonesia. That's right. There are only 75 of them left, and they're all found on one island. The Yujung Kulan National Park, which is a World Heritage Site, it is the last remaining refuge of Javan rhinos, but the area also suffers from the invading Aragon palm, so leaving the rhinos with less food to eat and less habitat to roam. That is what they... It's, it's, um, it's basically a palm that takes over other plants and leaves the rhinos without food because they can't eat it. So besides the small uh, Java rhino population, it is also extremely vulnerable to extinction due to natural catastrophes. I mean, it's in Indonesia, you get tsunamis, disease. I mean, disease is inevitable for any form of living organism. Poaching, as I said, and potential inbreeding, which is, it's super sad. Um, the inbreeding happens when sometimes they're forced into it by people thinking it'll save the population, or other times there's no other options and they inbreed and... They just, inbreeding never works. It's a sad thing. And that is the Javan rhinos. Hopefully we can save them. Because rhinos are such sweet, sweet creatures. Even though they're pretty deadly with their horns. Moving on to number two is the Amur leopard. The Amur leopard is one of the rarest big cats in the world. With only around 100 individuals left in the wild. Now, although their wild population seems to be stable and increasing, these leopard subspecies are still critically endangered since 1996. And there's a good reason for that. The Amur leopards um, can only be found in a relatively small region of the far east of Russia and northeastern China. At the present day, the remaining Amur leopards face multiple threats to their survival, including habitat loss, which is being used to mine, and fragmentation, prey scarce air, spray prey scarcity they're, they're just running out of deer and antelope to catch i know they don't have antelope i'm just joking and transportation infrastructure such as roads however there is hope for this rare big cat as around 75 75 percent of their home range lies in protected areas in russia and china and they're also moving into suitable habitats outside these protected areas well what do you know russia and china actually trying to uh, save these cats, and I encourage you to look up the Amir leopard. It is a beautiful creature. It looks like um, it looks like a fluffy leopard of sorts. Like if you look at the uh, leopards they have in like the Amazon rainforest, this one looks fluffy because it lives in a colder region. Moving on to number three, I don't think these are in like any particular um, order, and if they are, then I believe I started with the number one most endangered, and I'm working my way down, but I don't know for sure. And number three, the Sunda Island tiger. This, uh, the Sunda Island Tiger, or the Sumatran Tiger, as it's probably better known, it's the smallest tiger subspecies in the world. It's weighing up to 140 kilograms. For reference, the tigers that live in the Amur region, which we just mentioned, they're the biggest of all the big cats, where uh, males can weigh up to twice as much as the Sunda Island Tigers. They're also very rare. They're estimated to be around 600 in the wild, and they're only found on the Indonesian island of Sumatra. Gosh, it's always, it's always the Indonesian islands where they got all these animals. 
Since the 1980s, the human population of Southeast Asia has nearly doubled from 357 million to around 668 million in uh, 2020 when they last did that. Wow. Wow, Southeast Asia is just racking up the numbers. Um, this has had a huge impact on tiger numbers, which have been shrinking because of their habitats. And as human settlements expand in the region, Sunda Island tigers are increasingly likely to encounter people which could lead to a further rise in human-tiger conflict, tiger poaching, and illegal trading of tiger parts and products also of serious concern to their survival. The shame, I'll say, is that as we expand, we, we have more people, they branch out in the world, they run into these tigers, and they kill them because they're scared of them, when in reality, these tigers are just roaming through their area. Super sad, but, you know, it's, it's expected. It's expected when you double your population in 40 years, which is just insane. That is insane. Moving on to number four, mountain gorillas. The mountain gorilla is another subspecies, of we, of, as we have been saying, of the eastern gorilla, which lives in two isolated populations in the high-altitude forests up in the volcanic mountainous regions of the Democratic Republic of Congo, Rwanda, and Uganda, and even in the Bowindi Impenetrable National Park of Uganda. Very cool place. The Virunga landscape has a history of political instability, along with high levels of poverty in the region. This poses a su substantial threat to mountain gorilla numbers, as people have moved into areas closer to these great apes for food, shelter, and space. Over 500,000 people live near mountain gorilla habitat at present, and despite this, mountain gorillas are making a promising recovery, oh, with conservation efforts and interventions from local and international partners and the WWF through the International Gorilla Conservation Program. At present, mountain gorillas are currently listed as endangered species with just over 1,000 individuals in the wild. However, multiple threats remain that can hinder recovery process for these species. Whenever I hear of gorillas, I think of Jane Goodall and man, gorillas... They always amaze me. I always see, like, the what would win, a silverback gorilla or a tiger in a fight? And all I think about is that a tiger would probably rip a gorilla to shreds. But a gorilla could kill a majority of things, including a human. There, there are grown men that think they could take a gorilla in a fight. Now, I, I'll say even on my most confident day, I, I, know I'm, I ain't no Tarzan. I can't take on no gorilla, but let's hope that they can save him. Number five, the Tamanuli orangutan. The Tapanuli orangutan. The Tapan oh, it's Tapanuli. The Tapanuli orangutan is the newly described species of orangutan listed as a distinct species in 2017. Only a single isolated population of Tapanuli orangutans exists in the wild, which is restricted to the tropical forests of the Batang Turu ecosystem on the island of Sumatra, Indonesia. I feel like this article may just be about the Indonesia Sumatra area, as that's where all these endangered species are living. Today, these tree-dwelling primates are critically endangered with fewer than 800 individuals in the wild, making them the most endangered great ape species in the world. The loss of habitat is one of the main threats to its survival, as tropical forests are being replaced by agriculture, mining, and hydroelectric and geothermal development. Wow. They're just putting stuff in the jungle and killing these orangutans. What a shame. Between 1985 and 2007, that's 22 years, over 40% of the forests in the province of North Sumatra 
where the Tapa Nuli orangutans found were lost. And what happens when they lose their homes? They die. They go other places and die. It is just a shame. The poor orangutans. I always see orangutans in zoos, and they always they always kind of look sad to me, man. I'm not a big fan of zoos, but if they can help the orangutans, I'm here for it. An old man. I just saw our next animal. You have got to look up this one. The Yangtaze finless porpoise. It looks like a dolphin. It looks like it looks like a dolphin. The Yangtaze finless porpoise. That is Yang Y A N Y A N G T Z E finless porpoise. P O R P O I S E. This uh, the Yangtaze finless porpoise is the odd one out of its family, as is the only living freshwater porpoise found in the world. Ooh. This aquatic mammal currently resides in the Yangtze River in China and is listed as critically endangered. While the Yangtze River plays a crucial role in healthy ecosystem functioning, years of environmental degradation, overfishing, and water pollution in the region are having detrimental impacts on many animal species who call it their home. I mean, China's number one in pollution. I just They, they always come at the U.S. for climate change. If you're going to come at A1, go at China. They're ridiculous. Once upon a time, Yangtze River dolphins used to live alongside finless porpoises, but there haven't been any freshwater dolphin sightings for the past two decades. Sadly, this could be yet another stark reminder of what soon may follow for many endangered species, including the Yangtze finless porpoise. To protect this species, China has upgraded finless porpoise to first-level protected species in 2021, the highest level of protection available in the country. And in, 28, in 2018, their numbers were still around 1,000 individuals and stabilizing in the wild. But who knows what has happened in those five years. These things look super cute. They look like dolphins. They just don't have the fins. But man, I really hope that China can get their stuff together and save them. Moving on to number seven. Whew, we have another rhino. This time the black rhinos. Between 1960 and 1995, that's 35 years, black rhino populations suffered dramatic losses in their numbers due to large-scale poaching. I, I know for a fact that in China, in uh, Japan, I know in a lot of the Asian countries, they consider rhino horns as like this spectacle. Same thing goes for elephant tusks, and they consider it a symbol of wealth, and this is what is definitely causing a lot of the uh, drop-offs in rhino populations. Around 2% survived the severe onslaught of the past. As rhino conservation took hold, their numbers have more than doubled across Africa since the 1990s, but black rhinos are still listed as critically endangered by the IUCN, with around 5,630 individuals in the wild. Okay. Three, subs three subspecies of black rhino now survive, with the western black rhino declared extinct in 2011. Oh, no. Today, 95% of black rhinos are found in just four countries. You want to guess them? They're in Africa. Kenya, Nambia, South Africa, and Zimbabwe. The biggest threat to the remaining population is still poaching, poaching for their horn. It is just ridiculous. In the, in the last 10 years, almost 10,000 African rhinos have been killed to supply the illegal rhino horn trade. It's still illegal. It sucks. I, I love rhinos, as I mentioned earlier. It's a shame that they have to be killed for their horns. Some people are just driven by profit. It is evil. It is disgusting. I hope poachers get what's coming to them. Moving on to number eight. Dang, we're down to our final three animals. We have the African forest elephant, and the picture is of a baby elephant, which I just love. 
Deep in the dense humid forests of West and Central Africa, you can find the elusive forest elephant, one of the two members of the African elephant species. The actual number of wild African forest elephants remains uncertain due to their shy nature, but we do know that they are critically endangered. They are a critically endangered species, obviously, and they have declined by an estimated 86% over the last 31 years. The main reason behind the decline is due to the ever-evil poaching, which is frequent, widespread, and intensive, especially in Central Africa. Man, so much evil stuff happens in um, Africa. Man, they got all the child poaching, uh, child poaching, <laughs> the child trafficking, you have animal poaching, you have gangs taking over cities, warlords, just crazy down there. As well as elephant poaching, habitat loss and land use change for agriculture and other land uses have resulted in fragmented habitats and increasing human-elephant conflict leading to losses on both sides. Oh, it's a shame. I actually saw Paul Rosalie's interview with Lex Friedman where he was talking about elephants and how incredible they are. They truly are a smart species. They know things even we don't. It sucks that they're going extinct. Today, African forest elephants occupy around 25% of their historic range, scattered among 20 different African nations, mostly in Gabon and the Republic of the Congo. Hopefully they can stay shy in the forests and stay away from us evil humans who harm them. Excuse me. Moving into our top two, or final two, I should say. Oh my gosh, the Sumatran orangutan. My Sumatran, man, why are you guys killing all these animals? The Sumatran orangutan is found exclusively on the island of Sumatra, Indonesia, as are like three other animals on this list. They're actually listed as critically endangered by the ICUN at present, with less than 14,000 individuals in the wild. That sounds like a lot to me, personally. Sumatran orangutans face similar threats to their Bornean and Tapanuli, as we mentioned earlier, counterparts, from logging, where literally they'll be in a tree and the tree will get chopped down and they'll fall to this, their death, agriculture plantations, where they just killed them to create room, and expanding infrastructure development to the illicit pet trade. That's right, they take them and sell them to people in America. Orangutans need vast tracts of connecting forests to live in. Oh, okay. But between 1985 and 2007, these great apes lost 60% of their habitat in the forest. Today, the majority of these orangutans are found in the northernmost tip of Sumatra, in the Leuser ecosystem, a landscape that includes tropical lowland rainforests and steamy peatland swamps. The poor orangutans, they just can't catch a break. And if you live on Sumatra, you cannot catch a break. And number 10 on our list of some of the most endangered animals. I don't think it's the actual most endangered, but these are just animals that are endangered. We have the hawksbill turtle. Really, the hawksbill turtle is one of the seven species of marine turtles and is found in near-shore tropical and subtropical waters of the Atlantic Ocean, the Indian Ocean, and the Pacific Ocean. Their numbers are believed to be around 20,000 and 23,000 nesting turtles. That seems like a lot to me. Although it is difficult to assess their true population numbers since marine turtles are the true ocean wanderers, in the last 30 years, the worldwide populations of hawksbill turtles have reduced by at least 80% as a consequence of accidental capture and fishing gears, such as like those giant fishing rigs, nesting habitat degradation as their beach homes, coral reef damage due to pollution, and the illegal trade of hawkbill shells and products. Oh, we got some more poaching. 
Other human-led threats such as plastic pollution, ask China. Climate change, ask China. And rising sea levels, ask the Earth. I don't know. Could further contribute to the decline of this species in the future. At present, hawksbill turtles are listed as critically endangered. So I get what this list is going at. Basically talking about these populations that are dropping off severely. Okay, so like there's obviously 20,000 to 23,000 nesting turtles alive. But in the last 30 years, that's dropped 80%, which is just insane. That's just is terrible. Wow, I can't believe that. So I'm actually going to plug this um, website. Uh, as humans continue to shape the planet, but the natural world is declining. But it doesn't have to be this way. The natural world is declining. It doesn't have to be this way. With your help, forests can be replanted. Oceans can be restored. Nature can be preserved. And wildlife can be protected. If you would like to support our work, adopt an animal today and help make a difference where it really matters. I think that's just where you donate. But man, it's crazy reading about all these animals. Um, the hawksbill turtle. It's got a nice old beak on it. Very interesting. The orangutans living in the trees. Elephants and rhinos on the plains. You even have your dolphin offshoots. Your uh, big cats, your tigers, and your uh, leopards. And it's a shame that all these, all these poor animals, they're they're dying out. It's it really makes me sad. And when you actually get to visually see the animals, look in their eyes, it, it creates a different impact. But yeah, that's that's a bit about endangered animals. I could easily go over more. Personally, I feel like next time I will I'll do some more investigation. This list just gave a couple animals that are becoming critically endangered. But yeah. That was your surprise topic for this episode. It's certainly, certainly a heart wrencher. I mean, it certainly doesn't make me happy after reading about all these animals, but it's good to be informed. And if I could take one thing away, that is I am not bringing my dogs to Sumatra, Indonesia, because they will definitely get killed. Because clearly all the animals are dying on Sumatra, Indonesia. But they have super cool um, habitats and ecosystems out there. So I don't blame them that there's crazy animals. And I believe there's even pockets in Peru where I've heard that there could be some animals that are like super giant, like giant anteaters and stuff like these giant animals from old that we all find bones of and stuff. I don't know. That stuff fascinates me so much, but that'll do it for the endangered animals. I certainly did enjoy this one. Maybe not as much as my processed food segment last episode, but certainly endangered animals are very important. So Thank you for listening to that portion. I'm going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with, uh, obviously, my favorite segment of every show, and that is the preview of the upcoming UFC event. This week, it is UFC Singapore, so sit tightly. And we are back, like we never left. Of course, let's dive in to UFC Fight Night. Holloway versus the Korean Zombie, as I mentioned earlier. We are in Singapore. Very exciting for the Korean Zombie's final fight. We are jam-packed full of um, fighters. We have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 fights. I just love it. I love all the fights. So, let's not waste any time. Let's dive in, starting with the prelims, of course, which are unofficial predictions. The main card picks are official. We will watch all of them because I'm a UFC stan. All right. Kicking off the card, we'll be in the featherweight division as Sung Woo Choi takes on Jarno Aaron's Sungwoo Choi is 10 and 6. Jarno is 13 and 4. Sungwoo has an inch in height and an inch in reach. So, so two years older. Sungwoo Choi is currently on a three fight losing streak, been finished in two of those fights. I do remember the Alex uh, Caceres loss he had back in 2021. 
and the Michael Trezano knockout loss he had in November of 2022. All his fights have been entertaining, but just hasn't been able to put it together. He was once on a three-fight win streak, including a round one knockout of Julian Arosa, which earned him a performance bonus. That was back in 2021. Since then, he has not been able to get it going. He has five of his six career losses in the UFC. His most notable loss, I would say, is probably to Mosfar Evloff. I mean, Alex Caceres also a notable loss. But Mosfar Evloff, who is on the come up, he's an undefeated Russian prospect in the UFC uh, division, uh, featherweight division. I believe he's top 10 now. But yeah, Sung Woo lost him in his UFC debut. Sung Woo, I don't know about you. Jarno Ahrens, the opponent he's fighting, fought William Gomas in his debut last September in Paris, um, 2022. Let's see, he got out-grappled 8 minutes and 4 seconds. So, I mean, we have someone who was just out-grappled in general. Aaron's. We have a guy in Sung Woo Choi who prefers to strike. I'm very torn here. Jarno, only 4 career losses, 13 wins. But I'm going to go because we are in Kalang, Singapore. We are close to um, Korea, which is where Sung Woo Choi comes from. So I'm going to go with Sung Woo Choi by knockout because I'm, I'm really hoping he can win. I, I think I've picked up his last three fights and he's lost. So we'll be rooting for Sung Woo Choi. Moving on to the women's flyweight division as Leong Na takes on J.J. Aldrich. Aldrich I, um, I really hope this is not a snooze fest, but the, I, I just feel like every J.J. Aldrich fight is very boring. Um, Leong and uh, J.J. the same height and the same reach. Wow, JJ is four years her elder, as Leong is 37, 27, my bad, my bad Leong, JJ Aldrich on a two-fight losing streak in uh, the UFC, she is a staggering seven and five, wow, so, wow, she really debuted when she had like, she was like four and one, that was all the way back in 2016, her most notable, she's lost to Macy Barber. She's beaten Jillian Robertson, though, in 2022. Very notable. Of course, she got guillotine choked by Aaron Blanchfield. And most recently, in March, lost to Ariane Lipsky. But other than that, she's still kicking it. Leong Na is coming off of two straight losses. She was knocked out by Ariana Karnalosi in April 2021. And last June in Singapore was knocked out by Silviana Gomez Juarez in round number one. Liang Na is 19 and 6. But honestly, I'm going to go with the decision machine that is JJ Aldrich. I was roasted her, but I mean, now that I remember Liang Na is a girl that was knocked out cold by Vanessa, I, uh, I'm definitely going to be riding with Liang Na. 2 0 so far for our um, Asian fighters, we'll say. Moving on to the welterweight division where we have Billy Goff taking on Yusaku Kinoshita. Can I just say I love that name? It just has a nice ring to it. Billy Goff, 8-2. Reminded me of Jared Goff from the... Um, he's on the Rams. Oh, he's on the Lions now. Jared Goff's on the Lions. Yusaku Kinoshita is 6-2. He has 2 inches in height over Billy, but Billy has 1 inch in reach. Yusaku is actually... His birthday was August 21st. He turned 23 years old. Billy is 2 years his elder, so he is 25. Yusaku um, fought on Dana White's Contender Series um, last year in August. He knocked out Jose Henrique in round number three. But then his debut in February of 2023 went badly as Adam Fujit TKO'd him in round number one on the ground. 
As for Billy Goff, he will um, he fought on also on the last season of Dana White's Contender Series. He beat Shaman Smotriski. <laughs> he uh, TKO'd him in round number one. I don't really know what to think of this, if I'm being honest. But I know that not all of the Asian fighters can win. So we'll go with Billy Goff. We'll go with Billy Goff to beat Yusaku by decision. Don't really know any of these fighters, which I kind of like. I kind of like that I don't know a lot about um, Yusaku or Billy or uh, Liang Na or Jarno Aarons. I kind of like that. I kind of like going in like, oh, I don't know too much about this fighter. I'm going to learn as I'm watching them fight. Moving on to two fighters I am familiar with, Song Kinan and Rolando Bedoya in the welterweight division. Song is 19-7, and seven, Rolando 14-2. and two. Song has a one-inch height, Rolando three inches in reach. Song, wow, is actually 33 years old. Rolando, seven years younger at 26. Rolando made his UFC debut this year at um, UFC 288 in May. He lost the split decision to Chaos Williams. That's his actual name. Chaos Williams, a very talented fighter. He's known for having two. His first two UFC fights were both under 30-second knockouts. Very impressive. Rolando actually outstruck him in significant strikes and total strikes. I don't really recall the fight, but I do recall the name. As for Song Kinan, he last fought in March of 2023, this year, now that I've said it out loud, where he beat Ian Gary. This was actually Ian Gary's, I think, toughest fight in the UFC so far. He actually got dropped early by Song Kinan in round one, I believe. Song laid down the pressure, would actually win round one, but Ian Gary would come back to just absolutely obliterate him. Song Kinan has also been knocked out by Max Griffin in um, round number one in 2021. But back in 2020, he did knock out Callum Porter, found himself on a little win streak. He actually holds a fight of the night loss against Alex Morono. He's beaten Hector Aldana, he's knocked him out. But man, I don't know about San Kinan, man. I'm going to have to go with Rolando Bedoya, probably by a round one knockout, if, if I'm being honest. San Kinan is kind of disappointed as of late. He's now in his early 30s. We will see what happens, but let's get into a fight that I am looking forward to. So, my official pick is Rolando Bedoya. Let's get into a fight I am looking forward to as Chidi Chukani is back. He takes on Michael Olikajacek. I just love pronouncing all these names. I find them I find them so fun. Chidi, 6'3", Michael, 6'3", inches in height, and a notable 6 inches in reach for Chidi. Gosh, he is 80-inch reach, Michael, 74. Chidi Chutwe holds a 16-second victory, which he had at the uh, UFC Fight Night 200, the 200th UFC Fight Night, where he finished Mark andre Braille. That was actually his UFC debut because he had won on the Contender Series. Um, it's actually the second-fastest debut in UFC middleweight history behind, behind Mark Weir's 10-second win at UFC 38. Just as a fun fact for you, Chidi is unfortunately on a two-fight losing streak. One of those is a fight-of-the-night loss to Gregory Rodriguez, that fight went down at UFC Fight Night San Hagen versus Song, September 17th, 2022. That is one of the wildest fights I've seen. It lasted 6 minutes and 27 seconds. I don't know how Gregory survived round 1, and I cannot believe he came back to win in round 2. He actually had a cut between his two eyebrows. It looked so painful. 
so painful. And um, in his only fight this year, Chidi lost the split decision to Albert Dura. But before that, I mean, he had knocked out Dusko Todorovic around one, got performance bonus. Of course, his finish of Marc-Andre Bayou to performance bonus. Good stuff from Chidi in Chukwe. As for Michael Olukajasek, he is um, 18-6 and six in uh, his career, 6-4 and four in the UFC. He is 2-1 since he dropped down to uh, middleweight from light heavyweight back in August of 2022. He knocked out Sam Alvey in his debut. I mean, who hasn't? He knocked out Cody Brundage, which was impressive, back in December. But then earlier this year, got submitted by Kyle Barallo in round number two. But I'm not going to hold that against Michael, as Kyle Barallo is, I'm pretty sure, a future middleweight champion. That guy is so talented. Back in his light heavyweight days, I mean, he was dropping decisions to Dustin Jacoby. He was knocking out Shamil Gamzamatov, winning over Modestus Bukakis. Losses to Jimmy Krutenovitz St. Prue. I mean, knockouts of... You know, she actually knocked out Gian Vianti in a minute and a half as well. This should be a very interesting fight. I honestly think on the feet, Michael may have the advantage. And Chidi is not known for shooting for takedowns, so I'm actually very torn on this fight. Ooh, I am very torn at I have to make a prediction live. I, I, do, I do all my picks live. I read everything. I don't double take or pause and then go look at stuff. So I'm actually going to go with Chidi Un Chukani by knockout. And I know Michael hasn't been knocked out since... Gosh, he's never been knocked out. Oh, that's just wonderful. He's only been submitted. But I got faith in Chidi's hands. He's going to put him to sleep. Chidi's nickname is Bang Bang. Michael's is Hussar. I like Bang Bang better than Hussar. So... Moving on, we spent too much time on Chidi Chugani. But hey, I like him, man. He's a, he's a cool guy. Moving on to Bantamweight. Wow. As Toshiomi Kazama takes on Garrett Armfield. Well, if that isn't the most Korean-Asian name versus the whitest name, Garrett Armfield. Toshiomi has holds an inch reach over Garrett. He's 10-3 and three in his career. But Garrett, who is 8-3 in his career, holds a one-inch Reach advantage. I should have said height for Toshami if I didn't. Toshami is 26 years old. Garrett is 27. Garrett lost his UFC debut to David Onama, got arm triangled in round number two back in July of 2022. As for Toshami, he won on the road to UFC, the uh, first installment of that, which I have said many a times, but I will repeat, the road to UFC was this event this or a couple of events the UFC did where they had these fighters basically do like a little tournament of sorts and the winner made it to the UFC and actually Toshami lost to Rinya Nakamura the guy who won the whole thing so as his only loss in the UFC back in February of this year don't have much to go off of I guess I guess Garrett lost his debut it's Toshami I already picked, um, I've already picked uh, Rolando Bedoya to beat Sankinan. So we're going to rock with Toshiomi Kazama because he's got a banger name. I love that name, Toshiyama Kazama. Who doesn't love that name? All right. Moving on to our final two. Final two. is Do we have a six-fight main card or a five-fight main card now that I'm looking at that? It is a six-fight main card. So this is our prelim headliner between Waldo Cortez Acosta and Lucas Brazique. In the heavyweight division. Gosh, I love these international cards. They have the funnest names. Waldo, six foot four. Lucas, six foot four. Waldo does hold two inches. Oh my gosh, they have the same they have the same height and reach. Wow. 
And they're the same age. They're both um uh, 20 um uh, 28. Oh my gosh, they're actually 30. Okay. 30 years old for 31 actually. Waldo 9 and 1, Lucas 8 and 3. Lucas the Bull Brazique won the contender series in 2021. He would get a rear naked chokehold against Dylan Potter, drop a split decision to Martin Boudet in his UFC debut. And then in March of 2023 this year, he would lose a unanimous decision to Carl's Williams. As for Waldo, I mean, he was undefeated after he won in the Contender Series. He had a round one TKO. Would win a decision over Jared Vandera and Chase Sherman. Both those were very boring fights. And then earlier this year in April, would get outgrappled by Marcos Rogério de Lima. I'm going with Marcos. Um, I'm going with Waldo Cortez Acosta. Sorry, I was thinking of the other guy's name. Uh, I think Waldo has better boxing than Lucas does. I think Lucas has just had some awkward fights. He's been brutally outgrappled. Now, he did outstrike Martin Boudet, but when it came down to the damage, Boudet won that. So I'm going to go with Waldo, but we'll see what happens. And now we get into the main card. Now we get into things um, that are spicy, okay? Kicking off the main card. By the way, I will write down all these picks in my pick book. I've been thinking about showing some pictures of the pick book on the um, on the Instagram. I'll let you all know if I'm going to drop that, but it is fun writing down all my picks. So kicking off the main card in the heavyweight division, we have Junior, the juggernaut Tafa, taking on Parker Porter. Junior is 4-1 and one in his career. More experience in the kickboxing realm. Parker Porter, 14-8. and eight. Junior holds 3 inches in height. They have the exact same reach. What is notable is that Parker Porter is actually 38 years old. Junior Tafa, 27. Actually, 26 at the moment. Junior Tafa, of course, the younger brother of Justin Tafa, who fights at UFC 293. Lost his UFC debut earlier this year in um, April. Mohamed Usman outgrappled him in an absolutely boring fight. Wow, that fight sucked. But Junior is back in a striking battle against Parker Porter, who's coming off around one TKO of Braxton Smith back in May at UFC 288. Before that, he had actually been knocked out by the older Tafa brother, Justin, in uh, just over a minute. And before that, had been brutally submitted by Elton Almeida. But before that, he'd been on a three-fight win streak. Wins over Josh Parsons, Chase Sherman, and Alan Badeau. So um, Parker Porter is very good. But there's something in them Tafa boys' hands. So I'm going with Junior Tafa by round one knockout. You you know I have to pick it. You know I have to pick round one knockout. I mean, Justin Tafa's doing it to him. Why shouldn't his younger brother? Why not? I love it. I love it. All right, let's um, let's move on to what I thought originally would have been a UFC fight night um, headliner. I mean, this is a crazy, crazy good fight as... This is in the uh, women's flyweight division, of course. Aaron Blanchfield versus Talia Santos. Aaron is currently ranked number three. Talia is currently ranked number four. When it comes to women's pound for pound, Aaron is seven. Talia is 11. Talia Santos, 19 and two professionally. Gosh, she is... Um, so this is such a high-level fight. I'm just sitting back and admiring this. Talia is 19 and two. Aaron is 11 and 1, 2 inches in uh, height for Talia, 2 inches in reach as well. Talia Santos, actually, um, her three knockdowns landed in UFC competition are actually tied with Ariana Lipsky for most in divisional history. That is actually crazy that three knockdowns is the most in the women's uh, strawweight division. 
for um uh, I mean women's flyweight division for um <laughs> wait I'm sorry Valentina Shevchenko definitely has more knockdowns oh my gosh Valentina only has one knockdown wow that caught me off guard anyways Santos absorbs just 2.32 significant strikes per minute in her UFC women's flyweight competition the second lowest rate in divisional history bes- behind the person that she almost beat Valentina Shevchenko who has a 1.675 absorption Santos has earned three of her four UFC victories by decision, but one of those was not by decision. That was her uh, Joanne Wood submission, earned her a performance bonus, and also a title shot where she took Valentina Shevchenko to the closest split decision I've seen in a long time. I oh, I really thought she won. I actually I had it personally, 48-47 for Talia Santos in that Valentina Shevchenko fight. And looking back on it, I mean... Valentina obviously outstruck her, but the control time don't lie. The control time does not lie at all. Anyways, we're getting, we're getting sidetracked. Um, her opponent, Aaron Blanchfield, of course, coming off a huge win over Jessica Andrade in her first UFC main event earlier this year. She's on a five-fight win streak in the UFC. Um, she has, uh, Her five-fight win streak is actually tied with Manon Fiorot for the longest active streak in the division. Um, it's also tied for the longest active in divisional history behind Valentina Shevchenko, who had a nine-fight winning streak. Blanchfield has earned all three of her UFC stoppage victories by submission. Wins over Jessica Andrade, Molly McCann, and J.J. Aldrich. Her last three fights, actually. Um, her three submission victories, um, they're actually tied for the second most in divisional history with Montana De La Rosa and Kareem Silva. Kareem Silva, as we mentioned earlier in the episode, just made it onto the rankings, so they could be fighting sometime. Blanchfield has landed at least one takedown in four of her five UFC appearances. The only one that she hasn't landed a takedown in was the J.J. Aldridge fight, where J.J. took her down. They got to get each other. Blanchfield's seven takedowns landed at UFC 269 back in uh, 2021. They are tied for the single fight record for uh, UFC women's flyweight bout. Very impressive stuff from both these women. This is going to be a very close fight. I will be picking Aaron Blanchfield just probably from recency bias because I've seen her beat Molly McCann and Jessica Andrade in the time that uh, Talia Santos has not fought. But this will be a very good fight. I'm going with Aaron Blanchfield by split decision. Should be a grappling fight, that's for sure. Moving on to our bantamweight fight of the evening. Rinya Nakamura takes on Fern Garcia. Rinya Nakamura, the winner of the road to the UFC last year will finally be fighting in the UFC again. Actually, I should say, he did beat Toshima Kazama, as we mentioned earlier, but finally fighting since then. Rinya is 7-0, Fern Garcia 10-3. Same height, Rinya has an inch in reach. He is also only 28 years old. Fern, 31. Not to do fern like that fern garcia 10 and 3 in his career he won on data Wits contender series in october of 2021 since then had lost twice in 2022 to journey newson and brady high stand has not fought since as we all know for me and nakamura last three wins in the ufc all round one finishes on road to ufc one he finished gugan guzman and on road to ufc 1.6 he knocked out shohai nos to get a ufc contract and his debut had a 33-second knockout of Toshami Kazama. 
Very impressive stuff from Rinya. Nothing much to say here. Rinya by round one knockout. I feel like he's in home territory. He's got all the momentum. He's 7-0, and all first round finishes. I mean, wow. Fern Garcia, you have no momentum coming in. Sorry. Sorry, I hate to be mean. I hate to be mean, but there's that. Let's move on to our top three fights of the evening. Personally, I think it should be top four because Aaron Blanchfield versus Ty Santos is going to be a very high-level fight. But nonetheless, our top three. As number 15-ranked Alex Caceres takes on number nine-ranked Giga Chikadze in the men's featherweight division, 145. Giga is 14-3, and three. Alex Caceres 21-13 and 13 with one no contest. Giga holds two inches in height and an inch in reach. Giga, wow, he is actually 13, five years old, and so is Alex Caceres, actually. Got some old old boys in the building. Giga's birthday is actually August 25th. How about that? Very cool. Alex Caceres um, has gone 11-5 and five since he returned the UFC featherweight division in January of 2015. Nickname is Bruce Leroy, a brief stint at a... Um, at lightweight, I believe it was. His 11 victories in the UFC featherweight competition, it says competition, this, the stats are mean, but it should be division, are tied for fourth most in divisional history behind our main event man, Max Holloway, with 19 victories. Darren Elkins, 16. He actually has a fight announced. Um, he's taken on someone. He just had a fight announced, I can't recall. And Cub Swanson at 14. Oscar Serres has been around the block for sure. I mean, been in the UFC since 2011. Wow, he's been doing this a long time. Let's go over all of his notable wins. I mean, he has a win over Sergio Pettis. Win over... He doesn't have too many notable wins, but he is on a bit of a heater. He has gone six... Seven and two, seven and one actually since 2019. Very impressive stuff from Alex Caceres. He's currently on a two-fight win streak. Both one's a performance bonus, uh, three minute, three uh, three minute knockout of Julian Rosa with a nasty head kick. And earlier this year in June, he had a fight of the night against Daniel Pineda. But he takes on Giga Ninja Chikadze, Man, he's finally fighting. He hasn't fought since January 15th of 2022. You know how many days that is? It will have been 588 days, the longest of his eight-year career. The longest layoff. I mean, he hasn't fought since January of 2022. That's crazy. Chikadze is one of only three featherweights in UFC history to start 7-0 and in the promotion. The other two, Alexander Volkanovsky and Arnold Allen. I just cannot believe that. He had such a good run to start in the UFC. He actually lost in the contender series, got submitted. He would then come in, get four decision victories, then knock out Jamie Simmons, who's irrelevant, and he knocked him out in 2020 with a head kick. Performance bonus there. Big breakout was, um, I think it was a co-main spot where he knocked out Cub Swanson with a body kick in a minute. And then in his first fight night, he knocked out Edson Barbosa with a uh, round three knockout, which earned him a performance bonus. Then he had a fight of the night against Calvin Cater. Did get humbled in that fight, but he's back, and I think he'll earn a decision victory against Bruce Leroy, Alex Caceres. That's his nickname, but I don't know how you fit it in. And if he does win, I think he'll move up to the number eight spot in the UFC rankings and could be looking at a fight with Arnold Allen. To be, to be honest, I could see that happening, or even someone like Brian Ortega. Good luck to Giga and Alex. That should be a very fun fight. 
Moving into our co-main. Wow, we're already at the co-main spot. Making me sad. I love talking about fights. In the co-main, we have a rematch, actually. It's number 10, Ryan Spann takes on number 8 ranked Anthony Smith. Anthony is 36 and 18, 38 years old. Actually, 35 years old. Sorry, I kind of did him dirty there. Um, <laughs> Ryan Spann, 21 and 8. He is going to be uh, three years younger at... Um, <laughs> 30, um, 30, 32 years old. Sorry, I'm making Anthony Smith sound so old. Ryan Spann, 6'5". Anthony Smith, 6'4". Ryan Spann, 79-inch reach. Anthony Smith, 76-inch reach. Ryan Spann has earned 18 of his 21 career victories by stoppage. Of those, he's finished 16 in the first round. Ryan Spann is carrying some momentum into this. Um... As he's finally begun to train, apparently. He has gone one and one. Actually, he's coming off a loss. I forgot. He lost to Nikita Kreloff in March of 2023, so I stayed corrected. But uh, he did have a uh, minute 20 knockout of Dominic Reyes in 2022, a round one guillotine choke of Ion Kudalaba in 2022. And in 2021, Anthony Smith actually submitted him in round number one in a fight night. So this is a quick rematch only two years later. Man, this should be interesting. Ryan Spam at one point was on a five fight win streak before Johnny Walker finished him. But man, Ryan Spam has been in so many entertaining fights. He was on the contender series twice, got finished in 15 seconds in one fight, won a fight in 26 seconds. Um, he actually knocked out Rogero Nogueira in two minutes. He submitted Devin Clark in two minutes. And for some reason, he took Sam Alvey to a split decision in uh, 2020, which is so random. Uh, he's knocked out Misha Serkinov in a minute. Oh, man. Ryan Span, super entertaining. Ryan Superman Span. That's his nickname. He takes on the everlasting Anthony Lionheart Smith, currently on a two-fight losing streak. Anthony Smith is 7-5 and five since he moved up to the UFC light heavyweight division in June of 2018, one of his best m moves of all time. He would go... Um, he would actually go on a three-fight win streak and earn a title shot against John Jones. Um, Smith is 11-7 um, and seven since he returned to the UFC for a second stint in February of 2016. He was actually originally cut after going on, on a two-fight losing streak in 2013. Smith has earned 33 of his 35 career victories by stoppage. That's crazy. That includes 11 of his 12 UFC wins by stoppage. Wow. His seven stoppage victories in the UFC light heavyweight division um, since 2018 are tied with Paul Craig for the most. So Anthony Smith does love to finish. Last time he went the distance was in his last fight against Johnny Walker. Johnny outclassed him in all departments. Before that, he got decaled by Magomed. Pretty bad. Before that, I mean, he'd beaten Ryan Spann in round one, Jimmy Crew in round one, Devin Clark in round one, dropped a decision to Rockage, got brutalized by Glover Teixeira, Submitted Alexander Gustin. I mean, Anthony Smith has just been all around, but I'm riding with Ryan Spann. I, I, I think I think Anthony's kind of washed, in my opinion, but that's just how I view it. I'll never forget when he was telling a story about a home intruder who was giving him troubles, and I don't know why he was admitting that he could not handle a sm He kept saying, like, yeah, he was smaller. He didn't even, like, look jacked, but he kept beating me up, and I'm just like... Anthony, don't say that. Say that you absolutely destroyed this random guy trying to break into your house. But that's just me. Um, whoever wins this fight will probably be ranked number eight and could be looking up at a fight with Alexander Rakic, if I'm being honest. That's, that's my opinion. 
So, without ado, let's dive in to the main event. I, I can't believe it. we're already here. The main event. It's been, on, it's been a fun little podcast, man. I've enjoyed going over a little bit of NFL, Dynamite's Contender Series, the surprise topic. It's been a good time, but now we will round it all out with one more fight. In the men's featherweight division, you have the number one ranked Max Holloway and the number eight ranked. Chan Sung Jung. Max Holloway is actually 13th in the men's pound for pound. This is going to be a guaranteed banger of a main event. This is Chan Sung Jung's retirement fight, as is sad to say, but he's had an amazing career. He, it's also time. Chan, um, Chan is getting up there in uh, in age. I believe he's 36 now. And I mean, honestly, I mean, Max Holloway's like 30, 32 now, I believe. So Max Holloway's gotten up there in age. Max is 24 and 7. Chan Sung Jung, or better known as the Korean Zombie, 17 and 7. Max has a 4 inch height advantage, 5'11 to 5'7. But Chan Sung Jung has 3 inches in reach, 72 inches to 69 inches. Let's go over a bunch of fun facts about the Korean Zombie. He will compete in his 10th consecutive UFC headliner this weekend. He is currently 5 and 4 in his previous uh, 9 main events, but. We'll, we'll overlook that. Jung is the only South Korean fighter in UFC history to challenge for a title. He did lose to then-champ Jose Aldo in August of 2013, but no problems there. Jung is 4-3 and three since he returned from a more than three-year layoff from competition in February 2017, which is crazy. That fact is crazy because he left to serve in the military. That I just I commemorate him. The Korean Zombie is an amazing human, and he can also sing. Look up a video of him singing. It's it's hilarious how good he is. His six stoppage victories in UFC featherweight division are tied for the third most in divisional history between Holloway himself at 10 and Ricardo Lamas at 7. Jung's 6.2 second knockout of Mark Hominick at UFC 140 is the third fastest knockout in UFC history behind Jorge Masvidal's five-second win and Dwayne Ludwig's six-second win. Jung is one of two featherweights in UFC slash WEC, combined history to earn multiple knockout wins in less than one minute. Danny Gay has also accomplished this feat, a man that Chan Sung Jung actually beat. Fun fact. More facts. Chan Sung Jung registered the first twister submission in UFC history when he defeated Leonard Garcia at UFC Fight Night 24. Bryce Mitchell and Damon Blackshear are the only other two fighters to do this. Damon actually did it two weeks ago. Jung's eight fight night bonuses for the UFC featherweight division are tied for fourth most in divisional history behind Holloway at nine, Swanson at nine, Cubby that is, and Yair Rodriguez at nine. And Jung is the only fighter in UFC history to earn eight total bonuses. It is first eight octagon appearances. Can we get a round of applause? I need to get a soundboard so I can cue like a round of applause music right there. Jan Sung Jung has had a crazy career. It wasn't until 2020 he did not get a performance bonus in one of his fights. That's just crazy. That's just crazy. Wins over him. Dustin Poirier in 2012. Renato Moicano in 2019. Frankie Edgar in 2019. Danny again in 2021. He is coming off of a terrible loss last April against Alexander Volkanovsky. But he got to fight for a belt, so it was super cool. There's just... There's really no path to victory here for Chan Sung Jung. He's going to need a miracle, but I hope he goes out on his on his sword, man. I just Chan Sung Jung is so elite. He's um 
one of the first fighters I actually ever saw fight his um, fight night against uh, Frankie Edgar back in December of 2019. That was when I first started getting in the UFC. I remember watching on ESPN Plus like a rerun and seeing him finish him in round one. In um, I think they were in South Korea or they were in somewhere. Super fun stuff, man. And um, Korean Zavi, an absolute legend. Gosh, that's crazy. That goes down um, Saturday morning. Wow. But since we've glazed the Korean zombie, it's only fair we graze Max Blessed Hallway. Oh, man. By the way, Max, of his seven losses, only four men have ever been able to beat him. That's a fun fact. All right, but here's a bunch more fun facts. Y'all ready for these? All right, let's do it. Hallway competes in his 26th UFC featherweight bout, the most appearances in divisional history. His total fight time of 6 hours and 37 minutes is the most in the division's history. His 19 victories in featherweight division are the most in divisional history. He is one of 12 fighters in UFC history to earn 20, victor 20 victories with the promotion. His 10 stoppage victories in the featherweight division are the most in uh, the division's history. Um, Holloway's eight knockout victories in the UFC featherweights division are the most in divisional history. His six third-round stoppage victories, um, they're tied, he's tied with Randy Couture and Yo Romero for the most in company history. Take a breath, guys. We're still going. He has landed 100 or more significant strikes in 15 separate UFC fights, the most in UFC company history. No other fighter has more than eight such performances. Holloway has 15. He has landed 200 or more significant strikes in three separate UFC fights, the most in company history by far. He has landed a staggering, I kid you not, 3,122 significant strikes in UFC history, the most, the most ever. He has also um, landed 3,366 total strikes, different from significant in UFC history. Holloway is the only fighter in UFC history to complete 27 octagon appearances without suffering a knockdown. That is right. Max Holloway has never been dropped in his time in the UFC. He has dropped fools, though. He's always dropping fools. He has absorbed 2,086 significant strikes, the most in UFC history. So he has absorbed the most strikes in UFC history. His fight against Calvin Cater in 2021. Holloway landed 445 significant strikes. The single fight UFC record, his 744 significant strikes attempts, strike attempts in that fight are also a single fight record. That means he threw with his hands 744 strikes. Wow. Landed 455. Holloway um, also landed 447 total strikes at UFC on ABC1, a single fight UFC record. The previous high was 361. And then his 746 total strike attempts broke that record. <laughs> he also landed 141 significant strikes in round four at UFC and ABC1, the single round UFC record. And one more fun fact before my lungs give out, Holloway's nine fight night bonuses for UFC featherweight belts are tied with Cub Swanson Yair Rodriguez for most in divisional history. Truly a legend. I just, I cannot, I cannot believe it. I cannot believe we get to see Max Holloway fight again. It's always a treat. I'm I'm really bad at picking Max Holloway fights. I thought he would beat Volk on every occasion, and he never did. Um, I thought Calvin Cater would beat him. I thought Arnold Allen would beat him. I think the only person that I've actually um, thought that wasn't going to beat him was Aaron Rodriguez, who put up like one of the best fights against him. But there was one point Max Holloway was on a ridiculous 
ridiculous win streak. What was it? It was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. He's on a 13 fight win streak where Dustin Poirier beat him. As of late, he's gone since 2021. He's 3-1. So he's not too bad, actually. I'm very excited to see Max fight. Um, I'm obviously going to pick him to win against the Korean Zombie. Most people are going um, unanimous decision. I'm actually going to go round five knockout. I think it's going to be such a beatdown that they won't have it go past um, round five. I think it'll end in round four. Or that, um, actually, no, I think it's going to go into round five and he'll finish it. But, yeah, Max Holloway, he's fighting with a lot of passion. Everything that's been going on in Hawaii, guys, it's it's definitely impacted Max Holloway a lot. He's a Hawaii native. And, man, I'm really rooting for him in this one, man. It's always a treat to see these two fight. Let's hope it's a good fight. Let's hope it's not too bad of a beatdown, but... Man, Max Holloway, Korean Zombie, two legends. I love it. Max Holloway by round five knockout is my pick. We've gone through all the fights. Let me recap everything. I got Song Woo Choi over Jarno Ahrens by knockout. JJ Alrich over Leong Na by decision. Billy Goff over Yusaku Kinoshita by decision. Rolando Badoya over Song Kinong by knockout. Chidi and Chukwe over Michael Okajasek by knockout. Toshima Kazama over Garrett Armfield by decision. Waldo Cortez Acosta over Lucas Brzezike by decision. Junior Tafa over Parker Porter by knockout. Aaron Blanchfield over Talia Santos by split decision. Rinya Nakamura beating Fern Garcia. I'm going to say knockout round one. Could easily submit him. And then I got Giga over Alex Caceres and Ryan Spann over Anthony Smith, both by decision. And Max Holloway TKOing Chancellor Jung in round number Five. I'm looking forward to this card. I mean, Singapore crowds will never disappoint. They're always going to be entertaining. Man, it's going to be a treat. I can't believe I got to wake up at four in the morning to watch this whole card. And then I got to go to the state fair all day. But I'm low key pumped, man. I'm sick. I'm ready to be. I'm glad I'm done with classes for the week, man. Week one's always the most brutal week of classes. But hey, that's college for it. That's just how it goes. We did order another microphone. We're working on getting that set up. Uh, if anyone knows how to set up two mics on one computer, that'd be very helpful. I'm trying to do a podcast with some of my buddies, getting on more people, trying to make this thing grow. But thank you all for listening. This has been so much fun. Talked about endangered animals, talked about UFC, a little bit of NFL. It's always a treat. Let me know if you guys want me to talk about anything in particular. If you want to come on as a guest, I'm always open to have you people. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Hope you were surprised. Hope the jabs at UFC were enough to keep you entertained. Have a blessed weekend, folks. God bless.